Amen. I'm going to invite Ben to go ahead and come forward. We have been uh, hearing some testimony from some of those in the life of our church and how God has used this family and their lives over the years. And last week we heard from Ben's dad, Doug, who has uh, been here for what, quite a while. And Ben comes now to share his heart. Good morning. I've been attending Hickson Presbyterian basically since birth. While HPC is by tax standards a nonprofit organization and by the address of building, ultimately HPC is really you and me. HPC isn't the building we're sitting in right now or the building that we're going to be sitting in in two years. However, the building allows us to reach folks that we might not otherwise reach. Twenty-three years ago, I stood watching the groundbreaking ceremony for the building that we sit in today. I think we have a picture, actually. (laughs) I was in sixth grade at the time. My son and daughter right now are in fourth and fifth grade. I can't help but reflect back over the past 23 years and think about the impact many of you in the room have had on me. When I was in high school, I got in trouble in school and was suspended a week. I felt like an outcast. And when I came to church, I felt like people would be looking down on me. Then Phil Schmidt, who's no longer with us, came up to me, treated me with love and kindness that he had always treated me with. That is HPC to me. After several years of avoiding church during college, I finally stepped back in the door. Mike Landreth went out of his way to invite me to come play softball with the church team. I've been faithfully attending church ever since. That is HPC to me. This building that we stand in today is home to me. It has brought many of you in my life that I might not, never had had the opportunity to meet. I want my children and your children to experience HPC as I had to experience HPC through the unconditional love and kindness of, of its people. However, as my father stated last week, it isn't just about taking, it's also about giving. That is the, what the new building will be. It'll be a vehicle to impact the community and to teach our children how to show love and kindness to those around us. For better or worse, I'm a product of HPC, just like my children will be. The capital campaign has given me an opportunity to review how I spend my money and where it is going. The investment that the church body has put in me has been tremendous. And given to the campaign and to the future generations is a privilege for me and my wife, Cecilia. I hope everyone has an opportunity in life to experience the benefit of receiving and giving such a wonderful gift as I have. Thank you. Thank you, brother. As part of our worship today, we're going to conclude our capital campaign, walk through these five weeks seeking and listening. We come today as part of our worship as a church family to make three-year pledges of commitment of what uh, God will do through us over the next several years. It's a day of celebration. 
We're going to hear some more about what God has already done in the life of the church, even as we anticipate all that we uh, hope to see God do in the years ahead. So I want us this morning to lift our eyes from, from what we are doing as we come into a time of sitting under his word, to lift our eyes from what we are doing, to fix our eyes on Jesus and what he has already done. What God is doing among us is a work of grace, and it simply reflects his glory. It simply reflects his graciousness. It reflects his giving. It reflects who he is and what he has done since the day he brought the world into existence and has saved it, saved us through the work and the giving of his son. And so today I wanted us to return to the same chapter that we were in last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Only this week I want to focus in on just verse 9. It's a verse that we quoted last week, but that I want to dig into and to camp out on this week. Last week we talked about giving and generosity as a work of grace. And I truly believe that all of God's graces, as they are manifest in our lives and among his people, are, are his work, the work of his spirit, the work of the rebirth uh, and the new life that he brings us into, where he changes our hearts and he changes our values and he changes our priority, even as he changes our destiny and changes our kingdom and our king and it changes then all of those things and then those graces that are manifest are part of that work that he is doing among us, that good work that he began and is carrying on to completion to the day he comes. And so last week we talked about in verses, we're back in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, and in verse 3 it says that, that it's not just according to our own power and ability that, the, that, the, that this work of grace was having among God's people. It wasn't just their own power and ability, it says, but beyond their power, through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. There was something supernatural going on, something beyond just what we are able to do in our own strength, in our own wisdom. And it says that it happened by them first giving themselves to God. And I said, I think that's the key not only to what we're going through today, but it's a key to the whole Christian life. It's the key to er- the, the, the manifestation of every grace that we want to bear, is that we give ourselves to God first, and in giving ourselves, surrendering ourselves to Him and His work, that those things begin to be manifest in our lives as He bears His fruit, the fruit of His Spirit through the lives of his people. And so no wonder in verse 2 where it talks about it was the abundance of their joy, the willingness of their heart that overflowed. And that's what we have been talking about in this whole campaign, campaign is for it to be an overflow. And it should not surprise us then in the midst of this whole discussion where Paul is in the middle basically of a capital campaign, raising funds as he visits these churches, strengthening and encouraging them, but also raising funds to take back to Jerusalem to encourage and feed and care for another part of the suffering church. It's no surprise that as he is going through this whole thing and and encouraging God's people to give, that right in the middle of it he brings them to the gospel. That right in the middle of it he says, look at Jesus. Right in the middle of it, he asks them to fix their eyes on their Savior. He wants to talk about the gospel. And as I said, that is because every Christian grace begins with who God is. It begins with what God has already done and what God is already doing as he renews us in the image of his Son. We love because he first loved us. We give because he has first given to us. So in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, let me just read it then, if you haven't already. 
here then the word of God, Paul, in the middle of this whole section on giving says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The word of God, pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people. We have gathered here at the end of this campaign. And uh, Father, we have said much and done much, but now we are on our knees before you, longing to see your work of grace among us, longing to see you work in a mighty way, longing to see you provide every need, longing for you to work in the lives of your people, not just on this day, not just in the three years that are ahead, but I pray that this has shaped us as a people, as your people, for the rest of our lives and who we are and how we think about what it means to steward the good things you have given to us as we seek to love and honor and serve you and your kingdom. Come near and speak to us of your grace and your gospel, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, as he is discussing this whole thing, as we talked last week, and if you missed any of them, you always know you can go online. All the sermons are there. You can catch up. But he's been, he's been talking to them about giving and generosity. He's, been, he's talking about how other churches have already given, and he has seen God work in their midst, and as he calls his people and, and encourages them to give. And it's, no, again, no surprise that Paul traces this grace of giving, that all that he is talking about. He traces it back to the fountain and back to the spring which is in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we think we can do anything apart from his grace, then we have not understood our Bible, right? Because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of spiritual good, nothing of lasting significance, nothing pleasing to the Father. That which is not of faith is sin. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we know the the spring and the fountain of, of what he's calling us to is always to go back And to find what we need in Christ. It is the grace, he says in the beginning of the verse, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through the experience of the riches of the grace that are ours in Christ that our hearts are free and that they can overflow in joy. In generosity is the joy of our salvation that becomes a spring and fruit of all these things. So we want to spend a few minutes letting Paul remind us then of the treasures of his grace. Because it tells us that Jesus was rich, and though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we ourselves might become rich. And I want to reach into and take just a moment looking at his riches, and I want to delve deep down and take a minute in looking at the depths of the poverty to which he was willing to go and to speak about the grace then that overflows to us and changes everything. Right? So the first thing that is clear, Jesus was rich, uh, though he was rich. Now, you know he's not talking about money. At least I don't think. I mean, you could say that not only is the earth his and all that therein, you know, that the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, that everything is his. And there is a sense in which he's rich in the sense that he is the creator and owner of everything that exists, not only on this planet, but throughout the galaxies and whatever exists. You could say he's rich and all that stuff, but I would say that that is not a wealth to him, that the wealth that he's talking about here is something that is not material at all not created in that sense at all. That money is not the currency of heaven. Stuff is not the currency of heaven. That what Jesus was wealthy in is the fullness of the riches of God. 
of who he is and his eternal and infinite self. It's, it's clear that the Son of God, God that, that this Jesus whose riches we're contemplating, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's clear to us that he had a glorious existence before he was born into this world. And this is an important thing to remember because it's different than you and I, right? It's not true of us. When you and I were born into this world, we came into existence. We did not pre-exist. We had no other life from which to, to uh, you know, compare or experience in this world. So for us, being born is coming into existence. For Jesus, being born was coming into the world, right? For Jesus, who lived in eternity. And this is the thing. He shared a glorious existence with the Father. Look in your bulletin under the second point. John 17, 5. Jesus is in the upper room. He's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's praying for them. And part of his prayer is, as he's, as he's contemplating his own future, he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I don't know if you ever stop and think about such things. That is one, that's a verse that is packed with wealth and riches. You know, Jesus is saying to glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In other words, re-glorify me. I, in other words, Jesus existed in the presence of God and had not just glory, but he shared the glory of God the Father Before there was a world, before there was a thing created, Jesus is in the presence of the Father. The Son is in the presence of the Father with the Holy Spirit, sharing a glory, a divinity, a deity, a self-existence, an infiniteness, an eternalness, an omnipotence. It is beyond anything you or I could even begin to comprehend. We begin to glimpse into the richness of the life that Jesus had, that he shared glory with the Father before the world was made. Before he was incarnate. Philippians 2, the next verse there in your bulletin, also touches on it. Paul, in his great hymn to Christ in the second chapter of Philippians, and he says that though he, Jesus, was, or the Son of God, was in the form of God, shared God's essence, though he was with God, he was God, he did not account equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, it's something that he had that he didn't hang on to or he didn't feel like he had to. He was willing, in some sense, to lay it aside. So though he was in the form of God, equal with God, rich beyond anything we could imagine. The next verse, one more. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It's very familiar to all of us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, sharing His glory. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? And so we see again where Jesus stands, not only is he with God, he is God, and he not only is God and he's with God in the beginning before all things are made, he is, he is actually the agent through whom all those things are made. It tells us that through him all things were made. And it goes on to say nothing was made that was not made through him. That Jesus not only is, is with God in the beginning, he is creator, God. There is a wealth again in that 
at, at a level at which you and I will never experience because we can never be God. But it's something that we taste and that God shares with us out of his riches. God the Son existed from all eternity. He's equal in power and glory with the Father. The Son shared in this eternal, intimate, Trinitarian relationship, unbroken unbroken sharing of all things that are divine, which can only be described as a relationship of love. Right? That the Son is with the Father and the Spirit from all eternity. And the Bible tells us that God is love, that He exists as love, and that He exists as a trinity, that the Father is with the Son, and the Son is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there is this relationship of this sharing within themselves of all these things, all that is divine, the glory, the power. And there is, and it's it's a relationship of love and harmony, of joy, of glory, infinite and eternal. An existence where money had no meaning. The things that we think of as wealth had no meaning. And in our best moments, we say, the love that I have with my family and my children, these are the greatest gifts that life has to offer. This relationship, the harmony, the love, the, 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 the overflow of those kinds of blessings, but they rival in our hearts our love for the stuff of this world. And so the Son of God is infinitely and eternally rich in a way that you and I can hardly fathom. Though he was rich, it says, in a way that supersedes any wealth that we could imagine. It says, though he was this rich, he became poor. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he impoverish him? It literally means he impoverished himself. And in some sense, he laid it all aside. The one who had everything. When did he do this? How did he do this? And you and I know this in some ways is a Christmas sermon which is why we sang even some Christmas songs. You know, we're talking about Christmas. We're talking about what we celebrated in the incarnation of Christ. When did he become poor? And we all know the answer. The fullness of the Son of God who was wealthy, sharing the glory of God before the worlds were made. The Word who was with God and was God became flesh. And he dwelt among us. He became a man. And so back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, there under your third point in your bulletin, and we were just reading that even though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Verse 6, though he's in the form of God, he emptied himself. He impoverished himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, being found in a human form, he humbled himself. See, when God took on our humanity, he enters into our experience. And when he enters into our experience, there's a very real way in which he impoverishes himself, limits himself. When he says that he emptied himself, it it doesn't mean that he gave up his deity. Jesus never seeks to be fully God. 
The mystery of Christ, God incarnate, is that he is fully God and fully man. You see it there in uh, Colossians chapter 2 in your bulletin, verse 9, it says, In him, in Christ, incarnate, in the Son, but all the fullness of the deity dwelt in a bodily form, though he took on our humanity in his fullness, became a real man, suffered like we do, was hungry like we do, was tempted like we are. He never ceases to be God. He never gives up, cannot give up his deity. But Jesus did stoop. He did condescend. He did come, in a sense, down into. He goes from being unbounded, self-existing, infinite, and eternal in a sharing of his glory, in some sense, to bind all of that and unite it to our humanity. There are mysteries here. We touch on the mystery here of, of, the, of incarnation, of the, of the union of the natures of Christ as God and man. We stand here in the mysteries of the Trinity, and I don't, I'm not going to try to explain any of that this morning. There is great mystery here, but there is great truth here. Truth that is at the core of our gospel, that it is God who saves, that God himself comes for us, that though he was rich, though he was God, he emptied himself and he took on our humanity. He became an embryo, a helpless baby. As John Murray says it, infinite deity allowed himself to be formed in the womb of a humble Palestinian virgin and to be made of her substance. And in some way, the one who spun the stars and the galaxies into existence, the, the creator of all things and the creator of this woman became an embryo in her womb and enters into something less. The holy God, the maker of all good things, enters into our sin-laden and our sin-cursed broken world to suffer to suffer limitation he submits himself to the father submits to obedience to him and to to live under his revelation and leadership as a son he submits to our humanity and to poverty as a human to deprivation to hardship to adversity to shame to humiliation things that God ought never to suffer but in his humanity he suffers as one of us shame and humiliation he is betrayed by a friend he is forsaken by his brothers he is mocked by his enemies he is railroaded in a mockery of a trial he is beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross Philippians 2, the very end of that great hymn, after he humbled himself, emptied himself, took on the form of a man, it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we reach into the depths of the poverty that he became poor, he died a criminal's death. But the depth of his poverty is not understood until you stand there at the foot of the cross as the Son of God, the creator of all things, the one who spun the stars in the space and knows them by name, knows the hairs on your head and they're numbered, until this one is hanging on the cross, dying a human death, 
sharing our death. But you don't understand the depth of his poverty till you hear him say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was the wealth that Jesus had in the fellowship that God is love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity? The riches that were the truest riches of the universe and the very Godhead himself before anything existed. And here is the Son of God hanging on the cross saying, why am I a forsaken one? Father, God, why have you forsaken me? There's a hell in those words. Whether we understand them fully, which we cannot. But there is a hell in those words. This one who was eternally present with the Father, infinitely loved, experiencing the hell of a forsakenness, of a separation that he doesn't deserve. Cannot fully understand or explain the dynamics of this whole thing. Only I know that we begin to understand here the one who was truly rich became truly and utterly poor in a way that only he could. We are at the depths of his poverty. I know that you're there for what is it, for a second and then let's come out, let's rise out the other side. Right, Jesus, this one who was rich, became so utterly poor. Why did he do it? Why impoverish himself? Why empty himself? Why humble himself when he was so high and lifted up? What does Paul tell us? And we know the answer. It is the gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake, yet for you, yet for you, he became so utterly poor and forsaken. God became so poor, he emptied himself. Why? To lift us out of our poverty, to lift us out of our God-forsakenness, to lift us out of our hell, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to enrich us, to make us rich with his riches. Right? This is our God. This is the God whom we worship, the God whom we serve who is willing, though he is rich in his grace, to become utterly poor and forsaken, to enrich us, to enrich others. This is how he uses his power and and his freedom, and he doesn't have to do it. It's gracious. The one whom we serve, this one in whose image we are made and whose image we are being remade. This is the image of the God who is gracious and generous and kind and giving. And he wants to enrich us beyond our wildest dreams. More than you or I could ask or even imagine. There in your bulletin, we'll look at a couple more verses. John chapter 1, where we said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. It's the glory as of the only Son from the Father, the one who came fresh from the glory at the Father's side from all eternity. He came, we see His glory. He is full of grace and truth. And from His fullness, we have received grace 
upon grace. He starts stacking grace toward us. We receive from him in abundance. From his fullness, we become full. It's one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians, talking about being filled with all the fullness of God. That his grace is, is poured out in the person of the Holy Spirit. That fellowship, that koinonia that, the, that God shared from all eternity is a God who is love in Father, Son, and Spirit. When he pours out the Spirit in us. And we enter into that fellowship. Jesus says, on that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That day you will know that there's this interrelationship with all of us. And as I come to dwell in you by the Spirit, and you are in me, and I am in the Father, you enter into something, you haven't even begun to dream what it means, and you haven't begun to experience the riches of what he has given us, and that we've only had the smallest foretaste of, as we've been able to walk with him, and know him, and love him, and fellowship with him now. It's there in Ephesians 2, 5, and 7, he says, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in other words, when you and I were utterly impoverished, he made us alive together with Christ, that is, he made us rich. By grace you have been saved. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that when he was raised up, we were raised up, that we were seated with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. See, if you've experienced even the smallest amount of his, the riches of his kindnesses and his grace in this life, right? And I don't know about you, but I've experienced some pretty tasty morsels, so to speak. I have tasted and seen that God is good. And if you have tasted even in the smallest in the riches of his grace, just think of this, that he might show us in the coming ages. Well, you've experienced in this little time, for the ages that are yet to come, the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness that are ours in Christ. The one who was rich became poor so that we might become really rich. Not for time, but for eternity. Not in the currency of this world, but in the currency of eternity. I would have to ask you this morning, have you experienced this grace? This this Jesus, have you ever recognize it, it was for you that he became poor. That he did for you what you could not do for yourself. That what he did on the cross and the bearing of our sins, that he, that he did it for you. If you've never seen that or recognized that, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins, the mercy that is yours in the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love and the acceptance that is ours. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he impoverished him to enrich you. If you would put your faith in Christ, if you would trust him, that what he did, he did for you. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The riches of heaven, he says, are a free gift to those who will trust this one who became poor. And by faith, he says, you can enter in put your trust in Christ, to receive God's gift. If you've never done it before, I encourage you, this is a great day to embrace what Christ has done for you, to embrace the riches that he is offering by faith in what he has done. You know, it's often said that those who try to outgive God will never succeed, right? That you cannot outgive God. Some of us have tried, but the profound depth of the gospel truth 
that we come to this morning is that we cannot outgive God. We cannot give back to God. We cannot earn from God. If there is a message in the New Testament in the gospel that he means for us to get is that you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. Romans 8.32, it's there in your bulletin. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? And this is where I want us to start to understand. We, we are the richest people in the universe. Right? We are rich with a wealth that the world doesn't understand. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tries to communicate it to the Corinthians. They were arguing about petty things. They were arguing about which, you know, which apostle was theirs, you know, who saved them, who's their father in the faith. You know, you know I'm R.C. Sproul or I'm a, you know, who, who is yours, Billy Graham or I'm a, you know, and they're doing this thing and Paul's like, you guys, <laughs> you guys are missing something really central important about the gospel, right? Look at 1 Corinthians 3. All things are yours whether Paul, whether Apollos, whether Cephas, whether the world, whether life, whether death, the present, the future, all of it is yours. All things, he says, are yours. Why? How did I get all these things? He says, all are yours because you are Christ's. And Christ's is God. And when, you, when he, he who did not spare his own son but gave you his son, how will he not with him give us all things? Paul says we, it's already all ours. The day is coming when we will sit at the right hand of the Father with Christ, in Christ, for all eternity where he showers on us the unimaginable riches of his grace for ages yet to come that can't even be fathomed. And Paul says you're arguing about what? Don't you get it? You are Christ. Christ is God. You are in him and he is in you and he is in the Father forever. As we come to a time of pledging this morning, I just wanted us to stand in the place of freedom. I wanted us to stand in the place of joy. I wanted to stand in what God has already done. Our giving doesn't make God love us anymore. If we're unable to give, it doesn't make him love us any less. We stand in the wide open spaces of the freedom of the children of God. We stand in the wide open spaces of his mercy and his grace that are eternal and irrevocable and unfathomable. We stand as the richest people on the planet And so I want us as we come this morning and we take these moments in our pledging to be a time of pure just worship and gratitude because of the God whom we worship. This is the God we worship. This is the God with whom we have to do. And it is a great privilege and a joy to be a part of what God is doing. And so as we stand and understand a little bit better verse 2 where it says it was out of the abundance of their joy that they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you that your word speaks of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was so rich, he became so poor and that he did it for us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your only son and with with him you have given us all things Father, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes and give us eyes to see that we would understand the riches of our inheritance in Christ, that we stand free 
as the children of God and inheritors of all things, that we serve now as your children freely, joyfully, gratefully, and eternally. In Jesus' name, amen.